Good evening. Welcome to Element. Glad you're here tonight. Uh, tonight, I just want to pause quick before we start in the message uh, in light of the uh, just the awful news of what happened this week in Dallas, as well as the two men that were killed in Louisiana in Minnesota. I think it'd be fitting for us to just take a moment uh, to pause and to pray for those families that have lost uh, a loved one this week. So let's just uh, take a moment and pray together. Father, uh, Lord, we come to you tonight, uh, as we've been coming to you all day, Lord, and we, uh, Lord, we just want to lift up these families that um, have experienced such a deep loss this week. Lord, uh, I can't even uh, fathom the kind of loss that they're experiencing, and uh, Lord, we don't understand it, uh, but Father, we know that you love each one of those families that's, that's dealing with this and wrestling through these things. And Lord, we know that your spirit is the spirit of comfort. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would comfort each of those families that's, that's dealing with the loss that they've experienced this week. And Father, I want to lift up the church to you as well. Not just Element Church, but uh, the, the Christian church at large, especially in those communities that have been affected by uh, all that violence this week. Lord, uh, we pray Father, we pray tonight that your spirit would invade our hearts as believers. Lord, I pray that you would give us as believers the right measure of grace, the right measure of love, and the, great, the, the right measure of wisdom to, to know how to love the community around us that uh, is, is, is lost and is in desperate need of a Savior. They need you, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us as the church to not just respond with uh, opinionated comments that, that can uh, oftentimes do more damage to your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as, as believers to respond with your love, and we pray that your spirit would move us. Father, help those families, we pray, uh, as they mourn this week uh, and in the coming weeks. I pray that your spirit would uh, give them a peace that passes understanding. I pray that you would help them to turn to you in faith. And we pray, Jesus, that you would help them through this. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element, and I have the privilege of bringing the message to you tonight. Uh, whether you're joining us here in person or whether you're joining us online, uh, we are so glad that you've chosen to uh, be here at Element Church tonight. Uh, I want to share with you, to start out the message tonight, I want to share with you about an article I read earlier this week. I was reading an article about a, a bridge, a brand new bridge that was constructed, this was back in 2000, in the city of London called the Millennium Bridge. They started construction in 1998. It took them two years to finish construction on this cutting-edge design of a bridge, and it, was a, a, it, it is a pedestrian bridge. It's just meant for people to walk on. Really cool, cutting-edge design of a bridge. I have a picture for you. It's up on the screens now. Really cool design. In fact, it has made its way recently in a couple different movies. Uh, really cool design of this bridge, but there was one problem uh, that the engineers failed to really think through, especially with a new design like this. They failed to think through a phenomenon uh, that happens on pedestrian bridges known as synchronized 
footfall. Now, I'll explain what that is. I didn't know what that was, so I, I read about that. Basically, when bridges are designed, they're designed to have some give in them so that when the wind blows, like it blows in Wyoming, and, and it, it uh, moves around the bridge, it, they're designed to have some give in them so that they don't rip apart, right? And so what happened was this bridge was designed to have some give in it. And so they opened the bridge in 2000. And on opening day, um, all these people come out to check out the new bridge, $28 million bridge, really cool looking thing. And all these people get out on the bridge and there's a, there's a slight wind that's going on at the same time. And so the bridge begins to move just a little bit. And then what do people start doing? They, they start stepping in sync with each other and it makes matters that much worse and the bridge begins to wobble in fact they started calling it the wobble bridge because it wobbled so bad and it got so bad that there was a legitimate fear that people were going to fall off the sides of the bridge that's not a good thing for a brand new 28 million dollar bridge it's not a good thing at all and so two days after they opened this bridge the city of london had to shut the bridge down for two years for two years so that they could fix the bridge and it cost seven million dollars to fix the bridge now if you were that engineer in charge of that uh, program if you were on the engineering team for you this was a oh crap moment i mean can you imagine can you imagine being the one responsible for that design flaw it may have looked awesome but it had a major major problem Real life has a way of testing the plans that we make. How many of you have ever made a plan before only to have that plan in real life turn out to be a terrible plan? Has that ever happened to anybody? I think it's happened to most of us. We make terrible plans at some point in our life. In real life has a way of testing those things. The problems and the struggles that we face in our world have a very honest way of testing our faith. Even the faith and the spiritual strength of Jesus were tested in real life. Immediately after the baptism of Jesus, Jesus went through a season of testing and temptation. A temptation that is similar to what we experience as well. The main scripture that we're going to look at tonight is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to start by looking at Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through the first part of verse 2. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. If you don't own a Bible, as always, we'd love to give you one tonight. Just stop by guest services out in the lobby. We'd be honored to give you one. Also, uh, we always encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app. It's a phenomenal resource, uh, a great Bible app you can download for free on any mobile device. And on YouVersion, there's an events feature, and we have, uh, a, a, we have an event in YouVersion. You can look up Element Church WI, and uh, you can follow along the notes in there if you'd like. Up, up on the screens, though, as well, uh, the notes will be up there. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, says this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. The temptation of Jesus was necessary to test his spiritual strength, 
to prepare him for his ministry and to provide a powerful example for us as well in the way that we should wrestle with and deal with temptation. God did not tempt Jesus, but the Lord did lead and allow for Jesus to be tested. The big idea for the message tonight is this. Temptation is a guarantee. Even Jesus was tempted. And before we dive in and attempt to make a really accurate application to our lives, I want to share with you just two things to keep in mind. The first thing being this. Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all the things we are, yet without sin. Temptation is not sin. Sin is when I deliberately choose the object of my temptation and I reject the truth of God. Let me also say that if you're here tonight and you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, first of all, I just want to say we're so glad that you're here. And we hope that you feel welcome and we hope that you continue to come back here to Element. And I hope that in the message tonight, I hope that you will see more than anything, I hope that you will see the love that Jesus has for you. And I hope that you will see that Jesus knows intimately the struggles and the heartache that you experience. He knows those things intimately because Jesus came here as a human being and he experienced the struggles and the heartache that we experience as well. So from the temptation of Jesus... There are three powerful insights to the kinds of temptation that we face. And there's also three incredible tools for experiencing victory over temptation. And I'm going to share those things with you tonight. So if temptation is a guarantee, and if even Jesus was tempted, the big question for us then is this. What temptations should I prepare for? What temptations should I prepare for? The first one is this, the hunger for pleasure. The hunger for pleasure. On the heels of a 40-day fast where Jesus was being tempted by Satan all that time, we read this in the second part of verse 2 through verse 4. It says this, Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Something that we we often forget is that Jesus became man. Our doctrinal belief about this is that Jesus was fully God. And at the same time, Jesus was fully man. He had a physical body and that physical body required food, just like our bodies required food. Jesus had been fasting for 40 literal days and he was obviously hungry. It's no surprise then. It's no surprise that Satan tempts Jesus with what would have been the greatest physical temptation, food. Food. He tempts him with 
food. 1 John 2, verse 16, really gives us an overview of these three types of temptation. John said this about temptation. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. This first temptation of Jesus, as John describes, is the lust of the flesh. Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong with bread. There's nothing inherently wrong with food. The heart of Satan's temptation to Jesus is for Jesus to take matters into his own hands instead of waiting upon the Lord for provision. Here's how this works generally for us. The temptation for pleasure or the lust of the flesh is when I choose what my appetite wants rather than God's will. It's when I choose what my appetite wants rather than choosing the will of God. The sin of pleasure, the sin of pleasure is is really, it's a twisting of God's truth. It's a perversion of God's truth. For example, for example, God created sex and sex is good. Amen. Anybody? Yes, we got some amens. Good job. That's awesome. First service was too afraid to say amen. You can laugh in church. You can say amen to things like that. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. God created sex and sex is a good thing. But the problem is when we take sex outside of the design that God created to be within marriage, not before marriage, but within marriage between two people that love Jesus, our believers, one man and one woman, when we take it outside of that context, it becomes twisted, it becomes perverted, and it is destructive. And that's just one example of many things that, that Satan will twist the truth of God. He'll twist the truth of God. And that's this hunger for pleasure that we wrestle with. Now, I've brought with me tonight a platter. And I've brought this with me to just help illustrate the three different types of temptation that we wrestle with that we're going to talk about tonight from this story of the temptation of Jesus. You see, the platter has a way of making an object look better than it actually is. It's kind of like a billboard. You know, you drive around Cheyenne, you see billboard for a, a big burger from a fast food restaurant. It looks amazing on the billboard. But if you buy that burger, it doesn't look anything like that. In person, does it? You know, the real thing doesn't look like that. It might taste amazing in the moment, but it usually doesn't feel very good later on in the day, does it? It, it has a way of making things look better than they actually are. Now, let me share with you my favorite, like all time favorite snack uh, cinnamon toast crunch. Anybody with me? Anybody like cinnamon toast crunch? Yes. Some of you out there in milk, uh, it's no longer ice cold. It's actually lukewarm by the third sermon in the day. So don't steal it and drink it tonight because it'd be gross. Uh, I love, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. One of my favorite snacks all time. Absolutely love it. Now I'm weird. People have told me that I'm weird with what I'm about to share you. But here's how I like to eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch or other sugary cereals. It really doesn't matter which one. I just love sugary uh, cereals. They're fantastic. I know that they're not good for me. I know that. Even though it says no high fructose corn syrup and no artificial flavors and whole wheat. I'm, 
I'm fairly confident it's not very good for me. I'm not a nutrition expert, but I'm pretty sure it's not very good for me. But here's how I like to eat this. I like to get uh, a giant bowl of these or just bring the whole box. That's fine too. And I like to get an ice cold glass of milk. The colder, the better. And I don't like to mix them. I like to take a bite of cereal and then chase it down with a drink of ice cold milk. It's amazing. As Pastor Steve would say, it'll change your life. It is so good. There's some, now some people are weird. You like like when your, uh, when your milk gets all sugary and cinnamony. I don't like that. Some of you are weird and you like that. I don't like that. I love, love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And here's the temptation for me. It's okay if I eat this every now and then. And I do. I'll eat this box sometime this week. But um, here's the temptation for me. Here's the temptation. I would love to eat this entire box of cereal every night at about 9 p.m. when my kids are in bed and I don't have to share. I would love to do that every night while I sit on my couch and watch TV with my wife next to me as long as she doesn't try to steal any of my cereal. I would love to do that every night. But here's what I've discovered. If I do that every night, when I wake up in the morning and I get on the scale, the scale is going to scream at me and my stomach is going to scream at me as well. The hunger for pleasure, the hunger for pleasure is a lie. The appetite, our appetite, has a way of playing tricks on us. And here's the truth when it comes to our spiritual lives and the things that we wrestle with, the temptation that we wrestle with. If we choose our appetite over God's plan, we will experience the destructive consequences. If we choose our appetite over God's plan, we will experience the destructive consequences consequences and there's something that we should notice about jesus's response to temptation he he does it in this temptation where he immediate after after satan tempts jesus he immediately ends the conversation he stops the temptation and he straightens out satan at the end of this temptation at the after the end of this whole encounter jesus does not stay in the wilderness he leaves And the same account that we read in the book of Matthew, the third time that Jesus is tempted, Jesus responds to Satan. He says, get away from me, Satan. He ends the conversation. He leaves. It's similar. It's similar to what we read about Joseph in the Old Testament, where Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph and propositions Joseph for sex. What does Joseph do? He runs out the door. He gets out of there. And I told you I was going to share with you three tools for overcoming temptation, having victory over temptation. And here's the first one. Run. Run. I'm serious. Run. Get out of the wilderness. Get out of the wilderness. And I'll be honest with you. Be very honest with you tonight. One of the biggest struggles of my life has been my weight. One of the biggest struggles of my life. I struggle with it every week. Literally, I struggle with it every day. Because I'll tell you what, some of you that say, I love to eat broccoli instead of sugary goodness like this. I'd say, you are such a liar. Come on. Now, maybe you amount more self-control than me, but let's be honest. Broccoli isn't as good as sugary cereal. It's just not as good. And I would rather have this than vegetables, but I know I can't eat like that all the time. I'll feel like garbage, and it won't work out very good for me. And and it's just been a real struggle of mine. And I've learned, it's kind of comical, but it's very true. I've learned 
that I have got to get off my butt and run. I do. I've got to get off my butt and run. I've got to go to the gym. I've got to work out consistently if I'm going to honor the Lord with the body that he has given me to be the best dad I can be and the best pastor I can be and the best friend that I can be. The Lord has convicted my spirit of that. And here's the other piece of that. When I get into the grocery store and I get into the ice cream aisle and I get next to my friends Ben and Jerry, I've got to run out Get out of there. You try that this week. It might work if you get in the wrong aisle. Maybe it's the chip aisle for you or the candy aisle. It's all of them for me. I just have to try to stay away, especially when I'm hungry. Don't go to the, That's a lesson I've learned. Don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. In all seriousness, though, let me give you another example. If you struggle with looking at pornography on your smartphone... Sell it on eBay and get a dumb phone instead. Now, that might sound silly, but I'm 100% serious. I am. I know it might have cost you $600 cash. I know you might have to get out of a contract, pay the penalty, sell it on eBay, and buy a dumb phone. Why do we put ourselves in these situations where we know we're tempted and we continue to put ourselves in those environments? If you struggle with alcoholism, Stop hanging out at the bar. I I mean that. Like, we need to run from the environments and the behaviors that entice us to sin. We all struggle with something. We all tend to have a vice that we go back to. We do, if we're honest. And we need to stay away from those situations as best we can. Temptation is a guarantee. Even Jesus was tempted. So what temptations should I prepare for? Number one, the hunger for pleasure. And the second one is this, the hunger for for position verses five through eight says this then the devil took him to uh, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time i will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them the devil said because they are mine to give anyone i please i will give it all to you if you will worship me jesus replied the scriptures say you must worship the lord your god and serve Only him. The second temptation from Satan is to take position over purity. The temptation is for Jesus to take the easy way over the right way. John refers to this kind of temptation as the lust of the eyes. Satan offers Jesus power and position over the kingdoms of this world. Essentially, Satan offers Jesus glory and power without the death on the cross. He offers him glory and power without the death on the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Jesus chose the way of the cross. He chose the way of the cross because he knew that our redemption was not possible without it. He chose the way of the cross because true glory would only come by the road of suffering. Doing things God's way instead of the easy way will always seem like foolishness to the world. They they don't understand why we would do things that way now turning back to our platter illustration let's let's move this 
this hunger for pleasure and appetite to the side here. We, we wrestle with that. But there's, there's another struggle that we have, this struggle with uh, position and promotion, this struggle with uh, doing the easy thing instead of doing the right thing. Taking the easy road instead of taking God's road and God's plan for our lives. Question for you, how many of you can remember a time, maybe growing up, maybe even currently, but maybe you can remember a time in your life where you didn't have one of these in your home, a microwave. Anybody remember a time where you didn't have a microwave in the home? Some of you. Okay, now I'm young and I, I, I literally, I was thinking this week, I could not think of a time in my life, growing up even, where we didn't have a microwave. It seems like when we go camping, that's our best reminder of what it's like to cook and it takes two hours to cook something because you're cooking over the fire and you don't have a microwave to zap something right away. But here's what I've discovered about the microwave. This is my opinion. Maybe you have a different opinion on the subject, but here's what I've discovered. I don't think there are any food items that taste better cooking this than on the skillet. Okay, that's just my opinion or in the oven or on the grill. I've just I've discovered that when you cook it here, it's mushy. It's kind of weird and it's you know, it's edible, but that's that's about it. It's edible. Uh, It's just kind of weird. Now, a a couple months ago, uh, my family and I had to go down to the St. Louis area for a funeral and we were spending some time at my in-laws house. And at the time they were remodeling their kitchen and hadn't yet had the gas line run to their new stove. And so the only cooking appliance they had was a microwave. Now, most of the meals we ate out those couple days, but one of those mornings we had breakfast there and my father-in-law made eggs in a microwave. Anybody have eggs in a microwave before? Okay, here's the thing. I'm not going to say they were disgusting, but they were less than awesome, okay? They were less than awesome. And my father-in-law, he can cook too. And so if you're watching this, Vic, uh, next time we come, get your stove fixed and make some good eggs, (laughs) all right? Uh, I might get in trouble for that, but he, you know, he'll get over it. So uh, here's the thing. Choosing the easy way over the right way Choosing promotion and position over purity will always end in disappointment. Choosing the easy way over the right way, choosing position over purity will always end in disappointment. It just will. And the second tool for victory over temptation that I want to share with you tonight, it's something that Jesus does in all three temptations. He responds to the temptation with the truth of Scripture. Satan attempts to twist the scripture to his own end. And every time Jesus immediately corrects him because he knows the scripture. And here's what I know. You and I cannot choose the truth of God if we do not know the truth of God. We cannot choose the truth of God if we do not know the truth of God. When I read the scripture consistently, the Lord will shape my understanding. He will change my life. And I think that many of you in the room today, I think that many in the room today are choosing the easy way instead of choosing God's way simply because you don't know God's way. You're not sure what God's way and what God's plan is. And I love the fact that you can come to church here every week and you can hear the truth of God's word because we preach it every week. But that's not enough. 
We, we need it on our own time. We need to read the scripture on a daily basis so that we are understanding the truth of God so that we can choose the right way rather than choose the easy way. We must read the scripture. We must study it. We must choose to live by it even when it's easier to take a shortcut. Temptation is a guarantee. Even Jesus was tempted. What temptations should I prepare for? Number one, there's a hunger for pleasure. And number two, there's the hunger for position. And then number three is this, the hunger for pride. The hunger for pride. Verses 9 through 13 says this. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you. They will hold you up and protect. They they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. John calls this third type of temptation the pride of life. This spiritual pride presumes to know the will of the Father rather than humbly pursuing the will of the Father. Satan was tempting Jesus to put his will above the will of the Father. And rather than take his life into his own hands, Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Jesus continues this pattern all the way to the cross where he cries out, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. A a commentator on this passage I studied said this, this request for a sign would actually be an act of unbelief masquerading as extraordinary faith. Often in the church, we cover up deep-seated pride with false claims of spiritual wisdom and great faith. The other two types of temptation that we wrestle with, this hunger for pleasure, choosing what our appetite wants rather than choosing God's will. This hunger for promotion and position, choosing what's easy rather than choosing what's right. These things are a little bit more obvious. These things we talk about quite a bit more in the church, but the problem of pride, it's a lot more subtle. It's something that we deal with in the church. It's something that we all wrestle with in the church. But it's something that can live in the church cloaked in spiritualism. And and we can cloak it in, in just, man, just amazing spiritual wisdom. Yet that person is so filled with pride. It's something that can creep up in all of us. The issue with pride is it's when I put myself on the platter. And instead of humbly pursuing the will of God, I presume to know the will of God because of my great spiritual insight and wisdom. I'm very quick. I'm very quick to take the credit instead of giving the glory to God. 
I'm very cautious to make sure, I'm very careful to make sure, even though I, I, I make sure everybody around me knows that I'm very spiritual and I know lots of things and I've been a Christian a long, long time, so I'm very wise in spiritual wisdom, but I'm, I'm very careful to make sure people around me know how much I serve in the church and how much I accomplish for the kingdom of God rather than serving out of the overflow of what God has done within me. Ironically, ironically, some of the accomplishments in the church, not, not just Element Church, but the Christian church at large, some of those accomplishments that are, that are celebrated as the greatest spiritual victories in the church and in Christianity can actually be, in reality, the greatest evidences of pride. If we're not careful... First of all, if I'm not careful, I'm going to break my neck. If we're not careful, if we're not careful of pride, if we're not honest about the reality of pride in our own lives, if we're not quick to say, Lord, point out this pride issue within me, convict my spirit, Lord, show me, point that out to me and forgive me for the pride in my heart. If we're not careful of pride our faith can can become a lot more about expanding our own greatness than it is expanding the greatness of God and worshiping the greatness of God and discovering the greatness of God Jesus models for us in this passage an incredible tool for overcoming temptation that I want to wrap up the message with you tonight. In verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. See, Jesus didn't have victory over temptation simply because he read his Bible on a daily basis and he asked Peter to be his accountability partner. No, he had victory over temptation because he was filled with the Spirit of God. He was filled with the Spirit of God. And let me read to you two verses about the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That is good. That's good stuff right there. And I'll tell you, I'll share with you a frustration that I have as a pastor, something that a trend that I've seen in the church over the last 10 years that I've been a pastor. Here's the trend. The trend is this. When people come to the church and they say, hey, I'm struggling with this. This is the sin that's going on in my life. This is the temptation that I just can't seem to have victory over. Oftentimes our response as the church is this. Get counseling and get an accountability partner. Now hear me out. Those two things are good things. Those two things are biblical things. And God has used 
both of those things in my life to help me grow. And I, I expect for God to continue to use both of those things to help me to grow. But we've got to stop treating sin and we've got to stop treating temptation as if it's a behavior problem. It's more than a behavior problem. Because when we treat it as a behavior problem, we try to give it a behavior solution. Well, just stop doing this and you'll have victory. Just start reading this and you'll have victory. Just say this to this particular person and you'll have victory. But it's more than that, church. The struggle of sin and the lure of temptation is not a behavioral problem. It's more than that. It is a spiritual problem. And therefore, we need a spiritual solution. And the spiritual solution is the Lord Jesus Christ and life in Him alone. We desperately need salvation in Christ. And we desperately need the filling of the Holy Spirit in my heart as a believer. Because I'll tell you what. I am wretched. I am depraved. And you may not want to admit it, but so are you. We are wretched. We are depraved. And without the transformation of the living God, without the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, we will not experience the power and the love and the discipline that only God can give. Oh, we desperately need that. All of us. And I'll tell you what, in in the wake of what happened in our country this week and the horrible atrocities of what happened in Dallas just days ago, I'll tell you what the world desperately needs. We do not need unhelpful opinions. Those don't help very many people, do they? Post everything on Facebook and we believe we have the solutions and we post all that stuff and I'm not saying don't post things on Facebook. I'm not saying that legislation isn't important. That's important, and God will use that. I'm saying this. The world that is wretched and depraved, they need the Spirit of God. And they need the church to be transformed by the living God so that the church can show them who the living God is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is practical. I thank you that it's powerful and useful for our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just explode your truth in our hearts. Help us to remember these things, Lord. I pray that you would equip us with your spirit. And I pray, uh, Father, that you would help us to have victory over temptation as we see it coming. Lord, be with us this week. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name.